Acts 27, starting at verse 27. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors set the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the anchors and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without, and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he took it, he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate, ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they, let the, left them, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran against the ground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent them, any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered them who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Now we're at chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the land, the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw this, saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up suddenly and fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and in generous hospitality for, in generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayers placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, 
And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we need. The Word of God. Good morning. And happy Father's Day to all the dads here. And uh, it's good you could be with family here. And for those who aren't with their kids today, our prayers are with you as well, because we know that can be difficult. And as we've had mentioned, we also know it's a hard day for some people. But I hope for those who are grieving, you have some good memories to hold on to today that you can remember and cherish your father with. And uh, for those who struggle because the relationship with their dad isn't good, I hope there's some father figures in your life that you can look to and be thankful for as well. This morning is the last Sunday in our Acts sermons that we've been working on since January. Uh, And one of the things I love about the book of Acts is it doesn't really seem to have a proper ending. It feels like it stops mid-story and it could just keep going, and I love that because reality is the story of the church keeps going. And so we're finishing off looking at it. The story really continues with us because we're the church today. Next week, we're starting uh, our family summer series. If you're new to PCC, the last three, four years, we've three years, we've done uh, family sermons where we have the kids in here and we kind of have a little bit of something for everybody, uh, trying to engage everybody and just be together as a church and learn together and grow together and even have some fun together. And so uh, we're doing a series called Animal Tales of Biblical Proportions, looking at some animal stories in Scripture and seeing what we can learn and what God wants to show us from those. And uh, we're going to have a little fun. We thought, what would church be like, a sermon be like, if we kind of took the model of The Tonight Show or TV shows like Good Morning America and broke it up into different segments and had different things? So we're going to have some dramatic readings and we'll have some interviews. Um, Kevin Dell's a little ahead of the schedule today. Kevin, can you just stand up for a second? He thought we were doing a Dress Like Pastor Mike Day today. But no, that's not for a few weeks. So anyway, so yeah, so uh, that's a game that I think we're going to cut now from the the list of things that we're going to do. But I hope you'll join us for that and we'll have some fun together and we'll learn um, about God and use animal tales to see what God wants to teach us in our lives. And uh, we have some fun stories lined up uh, in scripture for that, so Last week, Pastor Ben shared some lessons for us uh, from Paul's continued journey to Rome and how he got sidetracked by this incredible storm. We see in this story that despite Paul's warnings, uh, the centurion wanted to get going and trusted the owner of the ships. Uh, I mean, no business owner would ever prioritize finances over safety and try to cram in more business despite safety concerns, would they? Uh, This one does. And the centurion agrees, after all, where they were in the harbor was not a good place for them to winter, he thought. And they head out and end up in the middle of an incredible storm that is devastating. Paul calls on the men to have courage, for he believes God will save them and tells them they need to run aground on land. Which brings us to today's passage. And They're still being driven across the sea, but they sense they're approaching land, which is actually an island. And uh, the crew takes soundings, and they're getting closer and closer. First, the water's 120 feet deep, then 90 feet deep. 
And they're concerned they're going to smash against rocks that they can't see in the dark. So they drop anchor praying for daylight before they hit rocks. The sailors know the danger and try to escape the ship, leaving everyone else behind. And Paul, now seeming to be a voice of authority despite being a prisoner, um, tells the centurion and shoulders, soldiers that the sailors can't be allowed to leave or else they won't survive. So instead of just stopping the sailors, uh, the soldiers uh, decide to cut the lifeboat ropes and let it drift away because apparently you don't need lifeboats when you're in a storm. Who knew? Um, not quite what Paul said to do, but it had the same effect. It kept the sailors on the boat. Paul then encourages them to eat. And when they hadn't eaten for weeks. And then daylight hits, they see the beach, and they run for it with the ship hoisting the sail. The ship hits a sandbar, begins to break apart, and now it's the soldiers who want to divide up the group. They make plans to kill the prisoners so the prisoners wouldn't escape. And the reason they do this is the soldiers are well aware that if they're the responsible in escorting a prisoner and the prisoner escapes, the soldier guarding that prisoner will pay the penalty the prisoner was to pay, including possible execution. So the traditional practice was, in this would be to kill the prisoners rather than risk them escaping. However, the centurion wants to save Paul, and as a result, all the prisoners are spared. Everyone either floats to the beach on planks or swims to shore, and over 250 people, every single one of them, is saved, which is pretty amazing after everything they've been through. They find the islanders kind and welcoming. The locals build fires for this group of wet and cold survivors. And like life sometimes, things go from bad to worse, it seems, for Paul. Not only are they shipwrecked, but Paul, shipwrecked, but Paul is bit by a deadly snake. Except he doesn't die. God works a miracle. And as time goes on, we see other miracles happen, and the sick among the islanders are healed, and eventually the group sailors, the groups, the sailors, the soldiers and prisoners um, sail on their way to Rome. The story goes from tragedy of being shipwrecked to the miracles of the kingdom of God being seen on this island. Uh, quite an incredible journey that they went through to get to this spot. So let me ask you this. Would you consider being shipwrecked in a storm a bad thing? Yeah. I mean, if any of us were to wake up on a cruise and I were to say, by the end of the day, the ship you're on will be broken up and you'll be shipwrecked on an unknown island with poisonous snakes, I think we could agree that is a bad day. Fair? Anybody, want to, anybody have a fan of poisonous snakes on islands they don't know? No, okay. Phew, I was worried there might be somebody who studies snakes who thought that'd be a dream place. You know, as I've done pastoral care over the years, I'm amazed at how often people are amid illnesses such as cancer and yet still express some gratitude for what they're experiencing because it changed their life. Have you seen that? Yeah, recently, author and theologian Tim Keller um, 
he's going through some cancer treatments, and he's come out saying, my wife and I, we never want to go back spiritually where we were before the cancer diagnosis. We never want to go back to that. Sometimes other people go through a stretch of unemployment and years later say that's the best thing that could have happened to them. Or they go through some other crisis or challenge. And yet, they see something good in the midst of it. Now, I know I've had times when it felt like life was collapsing in around me, where I thought nothing good could come out of the situation I was in. And yet, in hindsight, when I look back, I see God was working in my life. I look back at my life and the storms I've endured, which are relatively small storms in the grand scope of what they could be, but there's been periods where I felt like I was shipwrecked and stuck and there was no hope. Yet in the end, I felt like it's what I needed. God had redeemed a difficult situation in my life into something for his good and my good. That's partly why I'm in Regina. Was God taking a situation that I was in in life and working in that season and bringing me to the spot where I could be here. And I'm so thankful for that. So thankful God redeemed a part of my life that was really hard into something for his good. And I suspect I'm not the only one here who's experienced something similar to that, where you look back and you just see God was at work. So the question, is being shipwrecked a good thing or a bad thing? Kind of depends on your perspective. If you expect convenience in your life and comfort and happiness and ease, being shipwrecked clearly is inconvenient and a bad thing. But if you're in the midst of a storm and your ship is breaking up, being shipwrecked means you are alive and on solid ground again. Being shipwrecked can actually be a good thing on some level. Yes, it's jarring. Yes, it's unexpected. Yes, it's not ideal. But it's a good thing in that it means you survived the storm. It means you're alive. It might not be where you expected to be or what you wanted life to look like. But there's hope. And the perspective changes everything and how you see that. See, the solutions to the storms we face in our own personal lives aren't always going to be great. They're not going to be easy always. They're not always going to be health and wealth and happiness or power and prestige or comfort and luxury. In fact, in my experience and observation, they rarely are. Sometimes storms in our life can just feel ongoing and horrible and unending. Sometimes the end of the storm feels like you've been left shipwrecked without the resources you need to cope and face life. Sometimes you can even come out of those seasons of storms and feel like there's no hope. 
I think the hardest part is when the storms of our life are our own making or the making of someone around us. Sometimes they're not that. Sometimes they are just what life brings us. We need to be clear on that. There are things we go through in life that aren't our fault. It's just where the world and life is at. Other times, though, we know what caused our struggles, don't we? Maybe it was a rushed decision, selfish motivations, greed, envy, pride. Those are just some of the things that can cause the struggles we go through. Whatever the cause, when we're in the storms of our life, the things that seem to get people ahead of others in the world, money, power, influence, They're just not quite as effective at getting us ahead in the storms. Maybe sometimes for a little bit they will. But I'd suggest that those things cause more storms and problems in our life than they prevent. Yet the Holy Spirit equips us to weather storms with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit we need to bear in our lives to weather difficult times. A gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we're in those challenging times, these are the things we need to have rooted in our life to help us weather the storms and the times we feel like we've been shipwrecked. Not only do they help us to cope amid the crisis we face in life, but the fruit of the Spirit is what points us to the hope we have in the darkest times. It helps us see the bigger picture of what is happening and not to be overwhelmed and thrown into nonstop crisis mode. But there's more to hope than just the right heart and mindset. To have hope There are things we can do to help us see the larger picture of reality. Things that I believe God calls us to do. And the fruit of the Spirit help us to see those things when we're in those storms and in those crisis moments. These things help us to look beyond the challenge and struggles and lean into what God is doing in our life. And we we see some of those things in today's scripture which I think we need to remember when we're in the storms of life that apply to our own challenges and struggles. And these are things that I think we say, yeah, that's great for other people. But sometimes they're hard to practice ourselves. First, we need to use the resources God has given us. We see some things in the story that we need to recognize. I mean, the sailors knew how to brace themselves for the storms. Now, we need to keep in mind, our resources can get us in trouble. The centurions and sailors decided to sail at a time that was not a good time to sail. So, but they can also help out these resources, such as knowledge and insight and wisdom. The sailors knew how to brace themselves for the storms. They have knowledge that helps understand the depths of water and what to do and what not to do, what to watch out for, to watch out for the rocks. 
And we can recognize that sometimes storms are beyond our control, but we can use the resources of knowledge and wisdom God has given us and given to others. We see Paul, for instance, encouraging those in the ship to eat. They hadn't eaten for weeks, we're told. Sometimes we miss the simplest things that are so important. And we've been given so many resources by God in this world. The resource of community, medical knowledge, and other insight. The ability to access information. We have access to food support for those who have struggles with that. We have community supports. So there's resources around us that God has given us. And sometimes we're praying for a miracle. And I kind of wonder sometimes if God is saying, okay, the miracle's right there. (laughs) The resources I've given you are right there to help you get through this. So we need to use the resources God has given us amid a crisis. We need to have self-control to slow ourselves down and see that. We need to have patience to see those resources. We also need to maintain unity when the world wants division. We see the sailors in the story today wanting to abandon their passengers in the ship. The soldiers later on want to execute the prisoners. One thing we know with crisis and struggle is they breed division and break down relationships. We've all seen that the last few years. We see it in our own lives when our families go into crisis mode. This is the reality. We somehow get moved into this every person for themselves mentality when we're in a crisis or struggling. But we see in the story, on some level, that unity matters. Paul's telling the soldiers, don't let the sailors go we got to be in this all together. The centurion clues in, don't kill off the prisoners. He wants Paul there because we're better together. God works through unity. I believe one of the most foundational works that Jesus does through the Holy Spirit in the church is to bring unity to a community of great diversity. I love the diversity of the church. It opposes the way the world is where we segregate ourselves and isolate ourselves with people just like us. And yet we gather together on Sunday mornings in our diversity, our diversity of culture, our diversity of age, our diversity of interests, our diversity of income. There's so much diversity. And yet we come together and we find unity in Jesus Christ. And there's an incredible strength we have in that that we can hold on to that God has given us So when we face those trials and struggles, when we're feeling like we're shipwrecked in life, we have that there. But that unity doesn't happen by accident. It means setting our eyes on Jesus each and every day and focusing on loving others as Jesus called us to, even when the world would divide us. It means having love and joy and peace and patience and kindness so we can receive the relationships we need to hold on to and not let us be divided. We also need to learn to accept hospitality and care. We are always far better at doing this than we are at receiving it, aren't we? As a pastor... Over 20 years of ministry, 
I can tell you it is 10 times easier to go to somebody and say, hey, I have somebody in need, can you help them? Than it is to get somebody to say, I need help. We love being self-reliant and we hate looking like we need help. That's pride. Pride's not a good thing. A part of unity in the church is accepting help. You know what? We see those on the ship getting to shore and they're immediately warmly received by the locals. They make a fire to warm them up. We may not be able to avoid the storms. We may not be able to prevent catastrophes like being shipwrecked in our life that life throws at us. But we do not have to believe the lies of the world that we just have to go through it alone. We don't have to believe the lies that you're weak if you ask for help. People care. Often people just need to know how they can help. So I encourage you, if you're in that spot, to reach out to the community God has placed you in. Accept offers of help and care and hospitality. Be faithful to the community and share your needs and help others with their needs. Let others love you when you are in a space where you sometimes don't even feel like you can love yourself. And let's make sure we love the others around us that maybe we're missing. We need to have patience and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control to let go of the desire to do everything ourselves and to accept help from others. And then we need to watch for God's working in big and small ways. What a gift it was for those survivors that show up on the shore and have warm fires made for them by the locals. What a miracle, a miracle for Paul that he gets bit by this poisonous snake and, oh, oh yeah, just shakes it off. Now, Paul knew this isn't going to do him. God had told him, you're going to get to Rome. So for Paul, he, he sees this deadly snake bite him. And it's like, oh, well, that's not going to stop God. The islanders, nobody else knew that. So I think that's a fun part in the story, just their reaction. Um, but that's a miracle. God's at work. And then we hear of all these local people being healed of illness. God's redeeming the struggle and trial and the, ultimately the shipwreck to use it to make his kingdom known in the world through healings and miracles. And that's amazing. God was at work helping them get to shore with not one of them dying. And God is at work when they landed. We cannot get so focused on the negative and the struggles that we forget to watch for what God is doing in the midst of those dark moments. And maybe sometimes it's looking back over the past week and seeing it because it's hard to see it at that moment. Look for God at work in you and through you in the little and the significant ways. All these things. I think are essential realities that I believe God desires of us as a community of faith. I think we see them elsewhere in Scripture. However, ultimately they point to something greater. Jesus doesn't want to just give us a way to endure storms and shipwrecks. 
Ultimately, Jesus gives us hope that a day is coming when there will be no more storms, no more tragedies or death. We will no longer experience the shipwrecks of life that we experience. We choose to follow God in a world that at times violently opposes us, and other times is just dismissive. world where there is sin, sickness, and tragedy, and death. And so in that world of sin and death, we need to ask, well, where is our hope? And Paul answered that question before they're shipwrecked. He calls for the crew and everybody to have courage because he had faith that God would save them all. He didn't promise an easy solution. He didn't promise that, oh, I'll pray and the storms will be calmed and it'll all be good and the ship will be perfect. He didn't promise no hardship. What Paul promised them was salvation, that they would be saved. He showed them where true hope comes from. And just like Paul, we put our confidence in God. We recognize that the triune God is sovereign over all. This reminds me of a story in the Gospels that many of us are familiar with. We see the disciples are fearful with Jesus in the boat when a storm rages around them. You know the story. We read about it in Luke chapter 8. That as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filled with wa- filling with water and they were in danger. Really, not that different. Just a different scale than what Paul was enduring. And so the disciples woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Just as the word of God spoke in the beginning and created, it is Jesus, the word made flesh, who speaks and creation listens. And Jesus asked the disciples one question after calming the sea. Where is your faith? That's the question for us. Where is your faith? As you face the storms of life, as you endure the times when you're struggling, feeling shipwrecked in life, unsure of how to move forward, when you realize you can't do it by yourself, no matter how hard you try, where is your faith? When we have faith in Jesus, we recognize that in Jesus we have a hope that is far greater than just the calming of the storms of the sea or the storms of our life. We recognize that ultimately our hope is eternal. Whether in our life each day or in our time of death, our hope is eternal in Jesus Christ. So where is our faith? It is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. That our hope is truly in the saving work of Jesus and that ultimately only Jesus can work in these wonderful ways in the midst of the struggles we face. Providing us hope to look towards what we, when we can't see what's next in front of us. That Christ will redeem the tragedy of life that we experience. And ultimately that the grace and love of Christ will overcome all. Our hope is in Jesus, not just in our words 
or some theological textbook. This is what we proclaim and live as the body of Christ. Our hope is beyond this world. That's what we can look forward to when we're in the midst of those storms. When we're feeling shipwrecked. That there's something greater, something beyond the here and now that God is calling us to. That we're not just part of this world, but we're a part of God's kingdom. Having hope doesn't mean we ignore the challenges around us. We acknowledge them. We can lament them. We grieve. We hurt. We endure. But we see the larger picture of the work of Jesus Christ at work in our lives and see what God is still doing in his faithfulness to us. We see we are never alone as God is faithful and is always with us. Even when we feel alone in the world. No matter what we face... We can endure it because we have a hope that is beyond this life, a hope beyond this world, a hope rooted in the work of God and his love for the world, a hope that can give us joy and purpose in the most difficult of circumstances. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. As we prepare to leave, go forth now forever confessing Christ as our hope in our life and death. Go forth seeing Christ he lives and embrace the reward we have in Christ, the gift of eternal life with him as we look forward to that day when sin and death will be destroyed and when we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Let's go forth in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.